The Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rice to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. Cornblau and Cornblau and Cornblau and Cornblau, the official law firm of the process, and The Athletic. Subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash RTRS. Today on the show, we are going to go over some ideas for the next live Ricky, which is going to happen on December 22nd. We will talk about how it feels to have the Sixers win two games against decent teams relatively easily, be a little nervous about Ben Simmons' elbow, and I wanted to talk a bit about how he shoots with his right hand almost exclusively now. I wanted to talk a little bit about LeBron and the Sixers, and we are going to make sure everyone, especially Ben Golliver, knows how good Robert Covington is, and a bonus Tony Roten talked about the Sixers this week, and I think we must address that. A quick plug, one last plug for the Polar Plunge. Mike, it is this Friday that I will be jumping into cold water on the roof of Drexel University to raise money for the Special Olympics of Philadelphia. Hmm. And and Mike— Couldn't get in a a big five school? What's that? Couldn't get in a big five school? <laughs> That's just where they have it. <laughs> okay. City six, city six. So the, uh, but people can jump along with me and raise money. And if you do, you will be registered to, for a pair of front row Sixers Knicks tickets at the Wells Fargo Center. I will get a pair and you will get a pair. That is one person, but also you will be, um, you'll be raising money for a great, great, great cause. The jump is Friday at 5 o'clock, and you can go on this post on com for the link. Without any further ado, or maybe just a little bit of ado, here is the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the race with Sanchez. I am Spike Eskin, along with a man who only jumps in the water if it is under 50 degrees. That is Mike Levin. Morning, Mike. Morning, Spike. Have you done a jump in the water under in cold weather temperatures before? So this is my, I believe, third year doing the polar oh, you do. plunge. Oh, you've done this exact thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it is... It, have you ever done it before? I have. It it sucks that like the the breath out of you almost. Yeah. It, it it's surprising because what happens is for me at least, you take like I I jump in a normal bathing suit, no shirt or anything, and it's cold out. But once you you get you can sort of get adjusted to that to the the cold air outside. I got adjusted to that rather quickly. So you think jumping in the water is going to feel one way, and then it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> I mean. I, it, part of it a little bit is refreshing, but the other part definitely steals the breath out of you. Like I felt like I had trouble breathing for a second afterwards, but it's a good yeah. cause. How did is that similar to how you felt? Yeah, I mean, it's just your your whole body is screaming. Yeah, yes, that's a good way to put it. Have fun. Yeah, I'll have a lot, I'll have a lot of fun. It's good. It's a good cause too. Special Olympics is a great cause. So we have to leave this off talking about the live Ricky. December 22nd at Underground Arts with our friends at BGN Radio. It is the Live Ricky 2. We were right before Christmas. We were right before Christmas. 
Tickets are on sale right now, and they are only $15 through Cyber Monday. Of course, today is Super Saturday, and then they will also be $15 on Special Sunday, and then through Cyber Monday. But then after Cyber Monday, they go up to 18 bucks. so get your tickets now. We are planning some fun stuff. We will have some special guests, but I had a couple of ideas that I wanted to run by you on the pod. I think we could have sort of a creative meeting here on the podcast. If anybody's listening and is going and has some ideas for the pod, certainly throw them at us. It was, um, was it someone, what was, there was someone had a good idea for the TJ pod that we did. Or were all of those ideas mine? I don't remember. Um, I don't know. We've taken a lot of, we've stolen a lot of ideas before. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. They're community ideas. Community and we ideas. Give, we give credit when we can. Here's what I'll say is we don't always give specific credit to the person because I sort of forget sometimes, but we always will cop to it being someone else's idea. Yeah, I have, yes, yeah. I have, I have no problem doing that. We won't no say problem. the name, but we'll say v- vaguely. We'll say Sixers fans gathered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, our version of Sixers fans gathered. Ricky, Ricky listeners submitted this idea. Yeah, exactly. So... Here was the first idea I had that I thought was funny, just thinking about format for the pod. Okay. What if the pod was only – and in, 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 we would think of more creative things other than just about you know Robert Covington or Joel Embiid. Things that we were all right about for the, for the last four and a half years. Like that. <laughs> isn't, like, isn't, that, isn't that every podcast? Well, yeah, but, but we will frame it in a certain way. We'll name the sure, segments okay, as okay, it okay. were. So that could be an idea. I thought that would be interesting. Oh, and here's what I want to say, too, about the event itself, is that this is more than a live pod, and we're excited to do it with BGN Radio. They're going to do a live pod there, too, and then we're going to do a group one. But there's there's no event after our event, so we're able to hang out all night at uh, Underground Arts and have a good time. It, it's going to be a big party night that Friday night, so this will be a good gathering spot for, for friendly faces. Yeah, by then, the the Eagles will have only... Uh, two more regular season games, I think. Yeah, they will have the Christmas night game against the uh, Raiders, Raiders yeah. and then the New Year's Eve game against Dallas. And they could even have, it's possible they could have the NFC locked up by then. So yeah. it, it's also a celebration of, you know, and this is part of why we're calling it We Were Right Before Christmas, is because it's a celebration of, hey, things are good now. Yeah, with a with a, a nervous question mark a- after it, after mm-hmm. all we've been through on both sides, Eagles and Sixers, we can celebrate things being good. So here was the other idea that I had, and you will come up with the more creative ideas as you did last time. The the you know are we going to do the uh, TJ recreation with Brandon Galton as Chris Stepps? <laughs> we can do that now that we have somebody tall enough. To every do it. every live Ricky we recreate the TJ shot the TJ over Poison Mason Mouth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what and I we discussed this over text message, and there are only so many of the members of the so the retweet Armageddon Congress. The last time it was gathered, at least via email, is when the vote happened for retweet Armageddon to happen, which mm-hmm. was when the Fultz trade was officially announced, and retweet Armageddon was huge. Joel Embiid participated in it. There were articles written about it. It was it was pretty huge, but the Congress has not gathered. And I was thinking, and I don't want to limit just to the local people. If the, you know, if the people who, the guy, if Brett Ling from Australia wants to fly in to have a, um, what about a a discussion on stage with the Retweet Armageddon Congress members who are available? And the local ones are, trying to think who the local ones are. Uh, Galton, obviously. Liz Rocher, obviously. um, Derek. Derek. 
obviously. Um, I'm trying to think who else is actually. Bauman isn't local. Chow isn't local. Weber, maybe, if he was available, if we could get him think, down from New York. I don't think Bauman was on it. Bauman was definitely on it. Yes. Wasn't he? I think Bauman was on it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> maybe Bauman's on it. I don't even yeah. remember what what was what triggered me to Armageddon. I currently forget. The false trade. The false trade. The official the, announcement of the false trade. Okay. The yeah. fact that the picks swapped. Well, the pick swapped, and we use that for, for the trade. Okay. Yeah. So I think a rehash of what was voted down, what eventually got voted up, and in retrospect, what we thought of the process. Because I have a lot of actually angry takes about the process. I was, I, I'm not particularly happy with how everything went down, and I would love to to rehash that on stage. Does yeah, that ba- sound? Bauman, so- Bauman is not in it. Max uh, Rappaport is in it. No bounds. But Max isn't local anymore. Max right. is Seattle now. But we would love maybe Max will be here for the holidays. That's certainly possible too. So do you, does that something that is interesting to you? Or? Yeah. I mean, that's as niche as it gets. The, the collection of people that decided to retweet people? Yeah. Yeah. On, live on stage? <laughs> I mean, I think that would be interesting. I think, I don't know. I, you know, the podcast is only for the people who listen to the podcast and they sure. know what that is. So. Sure enough. Uh, I was, I did a, um, okay, so this is a quick, quick thing that I've had on my, I have this little document on my computer of, of things to talk about on the podcast and, uh, and also all, all the LL taglines I've, uh, haphazardly come up with. Um, and they, uh, there's things that I just like have, I've had on here and I haven't, I haven't said in forever. Um, but now that we're talking about a, a, a live Ricky where there's not going to be a, a sixer presence um in college i was on this uh tv show i was an out it was a there's this little tv network at ithaca i think syracuse has it also um just ithaca is the longest running tv station in in america which is cool ictv shout out uh and i was on a show called ivy which was uh which was written by a friend of mine and it uh it was basically a satire parody of uh, Laguna Beach, I guess, but for okay. uh, Cornell, which is across the hill on uh, at Ithaca, and uh, and I played, <laughs> I played just some some idiot uh, who was deciding between um, uh, being a doctor and being in uh, hotel management. So that's that's the storylines we're going with, and and it could get picked how- up. By the oh, yeah. way, I love how awesome I love how awesomely niche it is, both yes. in time and place and everything. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So this is in like two thousand, yeah, two thousand eight, I would say, uh, and uh, and it actually picked up a little bit of heat in the like Ivy League community because that it felt like we were making fun of Cornell, I guess, and Cornell was like pissed off about it, but liked it. I don't know. It was very weird. It was a very weird moment. I was a sophomore, uh, and I'm not a good actor at all. Um, but uh, but so it, it picked up a little heat and like there were some like Cornell Ivy League blogs that were talking about it uh, and like would like review the show and then for the second season we had like a uh, a viewing party for the first episode I think at Cornell. There were and two seasons of it. There were two seasons of it. I mean three episodes each season. Okay. Um, All right. And the second one was at Cornell, and, uh, and sort of like, like a up. BBC show. Like you, yeah, exactly. you it doesn't exactly. have to be a certain number of episodes. Right? Exactly. But so we had, were at uh, we had like a live. We were, th- the, we were thinking there'd be like this panel discussion, 
afterward and like we had it at cornell and we're like people can like the kids could like the students could come meet the cast and watch the show early or whatever it is and like nobody showed up <laughs> like, like we were like riding high like people were into this and like it was funny in like a not a real way and uh but we were like excited excited about it because a couple people like recognized us and whatever and then uh and, and just we got to this like very like old regal like auditorium hall and like no nobody was there <laughs> Like three, three people, maybe a lot of empty seats. And so that's what I've, uh, I, every time we have a live event, I'm worried that just nobody shows up and I get flashbacks from, from Ivy season two. Well, that, that's sort of the, the radio, the radio person disease is that you are convinced that every event you do, nobody's ever going to show up, Yeah, which is why, you know, nobody else, you, you are almost exclusively now, now John Barchard of BGN radio understands me now, but you're almost exclusively the person that deals with my mania and paranoia as an event comes up like it sort of overtakes my brain and it all comes from the fear that nobody's going to show up sure. that's basically what everything comes from all right before so we are excited for the live ricky we are and we're gonna play an episode of that show for sure yeah yeah during the live ricky yeah Absolutely. yeah that's the whole thing yeah. and and mike said as mike said no sixers at this one as it is a travel day for them but we are uh, there will be special guests. It will be a power-packed lineup for sure with both BGN Radio and um, and the rights Ricky Sanchez. So excited to do it, excited to hang out and be there, and excited to stress over it for the next month. So. Yeah. All right, before we get to some Sixers, uh, let's time for the Willie Green Apple Podcast oh. Review of the Week. Here every, it is. Every time I'm just blindsided by it. It's just, yep. just an, illegal, an illegal hit. I am just you are you are Sheldon Brown. I am Reggie Bush. Just every to, every time. We're up to one thousand two hundred sixteen five star ratings. When we get to two thousand, as we march on, I will read all the reviews again from one thousand to two thousand five star ratings on one podcast. This one comes from J Stat. Subject line: Funny and informative. Just started on the podcast a month ago, and let me tell you, these guys are humble. They are the last. They are the last ones ever to toot their own horns about uh, being on board with the process. From I don't even have a one. Horn. Yeah, uh, heavy sarcasm there. Great podcast. I don't miss an episode. And as a uh, a bonus, I'm not going to read this whole review, but this the other review, a five star one, came from Mike is better with subject line Mike is better than Spike. So. There you go. Yeah, I don't hate that one. There you go. So leave, re, please, we love your five-star ratings and your reviews. They mean a lot to us. All right. So as I said, here's here's what I have for the rundown. I have the Utah-Portland games. I will do a Lorenzo Brown mailbag. I have some good mailbag questions. The uh, I had some LeBron to the Sixers thoughts. As Wait, that have, we, have we talked about the, that, that it's named Lorenzo Brown mailbag? I don't think we have. Oh, no, we haven't. Well, we'll discuss it when we get to it. Because it's sent How's back that? and forth. That's why. Oh. There you go. Done. Just like email. There you go. Uh, LeBron to the Sixers, the Tony Roten tweets. I've got um, a little recommendation corner with Jorge Gutierrez. And we're going to play. We'll t- only talk a little bit, but I want to play some old audio from the Ricky about Ben Golliver on Robert Covington versus Jay Crowder. I just wanted to <laughs> include that because they addressed it on open floor this week and it wasn't addressed harsh enough. I let Sharp know that I didn't think it was addressed harsh enough and we'll get to that. Great. So what do you want to do first? You want to do the Utah and Portland games? Yeah, first? the wins. To- Two easy wins. 20 plus. So you had mentioned earlier in the season 
that you were yearning for some easy victories and not yearning. over bad teams, but a victory that we didn't have to, you know, sweat out in the fourth quarter. And I, you know, you know, there were West Coast teams on an East Coast swing and Utah hasn't been playing well, but it is nice that it happened against two, one legit legitimate team and one legitimate-ish uh, team, even though they were missing a couple of people. Both victories were pretty much start to finish uh, good defensive efforts. You know, they were it, they were pretty convincing victories. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I watched the Portland game with John Gonzalez, uh, noted Blazers fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was Celtics fan John Gonzalez, Celtics Blazers fan John Gonzalez. Right. It it was uh, really just like a very easy top to bottom. I mean, Portland didn't score for the first like eight minutes of the game. That's that's a that's a good way to win. Yeah, they were up. I think sixteen zero at one point. I was actually I was at that game and that when it was starting out and this is you know the difference between this season as they went up 16 nothing i was like oh i've seen this before like you know this will get close in the third and even when dame lillard got pretty hot i mean he was launching them from 28 feet away it never i don't know how close it got but i don't think it ever got to with more than within 10 at any point in the second half i mean it was a pretty convincing victory beginning to end and defensively, it wasn't just that Portland was missing shots. They weren't getting good shots, you know. They, um, the ones that Lillard were hitting were just sort of, I have the ball from three, point, three feet or four feet beyond the three-point line. I'm going to shoot it from here, and it went in. But it, wasn't, it didn't seem like at any point they figured out how to score on the Sixers, which was, you know, defense was not good in the first I don't know, five or, or ten games of the season, but it really seems like it's coming around. Uh, what, do you, what do you, I mean, the obvious thing to attribute that to is Embiid looks better and he's probably in better shape, but is there anything else that you've seen that you sort of attribute that to? Calling him Dame Lillard makes him sound like Dame Judy Dench. I've never heard him <laughs> called Dame Lillard. I mean, like Dame, but then like yeah. th- throwing the last name in there makes him sound like he's a. Uh, well, I don't act, do, I don't do, I don't do, the, I don't do the first. First, uh, but you did you did you did abbreviate his name, like you sort of went half halfway. It's like calling him the Philadelphia Sixers, which you can't do. <laughs> okay, just saying. Well then, Lillard. Uh, then I'll go with Lillard exclusively. Though. Okay, that's fair. Uh, yeah, I mean they just made him uncomfortable the whole game. It was like it yeah. was like they're forcing them into mid range shots, and yeah, the, the shots that Dame hit were just like Dame shots. That you're like, well, what are you gonna do about that? Yeah. Um, TJ you don't just, like him, right? You don't like Lillard, if I'm, I remember I'm, correctly. I'm not a Dame guy. Uh, I I like watching him like individually, uh, yeah. but I don't think that he's any sort of building block. To I mean, like maybe if he goes, maybe if like if you took out, I don't know, if you took out Westbrook from Oklahoma City and like threw Dame in there, I think that you'd get like a similarish result, maybe. But like, I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to get you where anywhere. Even with him and CJ, I don't think they're they're ever going to get past the second round. Those guys. Uh, yeah. But if you put them on like a super team kind of thing, then maybe maybe that's a different story. But yeah, I'm just not a just not a huge name guy. Never never have been. Um, I'd rather have him. I know this is very on brand for me, but I'd rather have him than Westbrook. I know, I know. You didn't have yeah. to finish that sentence. Nobody yeah, right. did finish that sentence. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's it's weird to say that 
oh, it's just Embiid. But, like, it kind of is. Like, obviously, yeah. Covington is good. Covington's always good. But Embiid has uh, – t- I don't understand. He still looks not as bouncy as last year I watched uh, – uh, Jim Adair put together for Liberty Ballers a collection of Embiid's best blocks of his career so far, and uh, just a great, just a great, just a great watch. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's a uh, just walk back through mem- memory lane of the like forty six games of uh, of just destruction, um, and it, you could tell some last year like he's he was in either better shape or just like thinner, bouncier, or whatever. Um, and I'm still waiting for that, but his. Uh, Defensive IQ is, I mean, second to none. The he 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 called himself the best defensive player in the league right now, and he might not be wrong. It's just uh, it's crazy. Um, the block that he had um, on Lillard on Lillard so, when he's yeah. waiting, it was, it was, he was like so we're just like waiting for him, like ready to pounce. Mark Whittington said it was a volleyball block. His Mark Whittington's wife, uh, who is not blind, um, said that she used to play volleyball, and so she he was like she was a he was pouncing for an attack and Embiid obviously used to play volleyball and uh, so it's fun to see him use that it's it's just uh, even when he's not blocking shots he's still affecting everything from a from such a uh, he's just scaring people everything they're like they're pulling up early or passing up good shots so they think he's going to come and then with TJ hounding him at the point of attack like it's it's a combination of and then same as everywhere I mean it's like the defense looks great they held the Jazz to forty for, to eighty six, which is not a huge accomplishment because they're the Jazz; they don't run run the ball that much. But uh, Portland eighty one is crazy. That yeah. is, they they held them under twenty five points each quarter. That's wild, and uh, they look good. And <clears throat> B doesn't look as bouncy, but he does look a little thinner. He does look like he is thinner from earlier this season. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, he I would he, agree. he look he looked fat at the beginning of the season, and he, he doesn't look fat anymore so my my guess would be he's 10 pounds light so he did he did the 81 percent joke and that was that was a joke pitched by uh john wintermute yes and uh do you think he saw that yeah do you think he saw that tweet and is like oh that's a great idea i'm gonna say i'm at 81 percent yes jalen rose here's here's one one small criticism of Embiid here you you got to start giving credit for some of these things, you, <laughs> you think he's gonna he's gonna shout out John Wintermute on Sports Center? Yeah. Well, no, at least on Twitter. Look, we w- w- the calling him the process was. It is no coincidence, I don't believe, that on the Ricky Twitter we asked if Joel Embiid, if his nickname should be the process, and two days later his nickname was the process on his Instagram. Like, wow. and then John Winter, and th- that is you can go check Twitter history; it's all there. <laughs> And John Wintermute made the 80. 80- I love that he is like us, crowdsourcing jokes. <laughs> That's right. Wait, we're, doing, we're doing the same thing. You just need him to say, I saw this on Twitter. Yes, at least that. And and even retweet Armageddon, he could at least say, you know, um, I don't know, uh, big ups <laughs> to Sixers podcasts. I don't know, or something <laughs> like that. But if you're going to get your jokes Sixers on Twitter. Sixers fans retweeted. Yeah, give it, give it a hat tip or something, and I, I don't doubt that somebody's going to hear this, and maybe he'll acknowledge that he should really start giving credit. So, the <laughs> uh, uh, another thing about the Portland game. Well, here, let's go back to Utah for a second. I think Matt Cord should plug the podcast every time he calls on the, the process. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will stop at nothing. <laughs> uh, the two things on the Utah game. 
First of all, what in the world could you enjoy about watching? Oh, Utah? I saw this in the rundown, and I'm ready to go. Well, even even with Gobert, it's not like Gobert is fun to watch. This I, team, I find I find Gobert fun to watch. I find Rodney Hood very fun to watch. I find the fact that Ekpe Udo is back in the NBA very fun no, for myself. No. This is all Don, made up. Donovan bullshit. Mitchell is incredible, and I, and I love him. Uh, Joe Ingles is an incredibly fun player. Not a huge Repco fan. I'm obviously a Ricky Rubio fan. Who couldn't be? Who isn't? Like, how's that but he's, possible? But he's horrible to watch now. Jack and he looks, jumpers. He's beautiful. And, he's a beautiful man. Uh, he 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 looks like he's a, a greaser from the Outsiders or something. Now he's got a. I like that sounds great. I like, sh- I like shaggy Rubio, not slick back sure. evil Rubio. He looks like he looks like. Uh, um, What's it called? He looks like the bad, like the evil version of Rubio or something. Yeah. I don't know. This evil, team evil is, Salt Lake Rubio. They are, you know what people do when they say this F- is a Favors great is league. Pretty, Favors is pretty dull. Okay. Yes. When they go, this is a great league pass team or something like that. They just yeah. start naming players as if yes. naming them means that they're fun. I would they say, just, here's the deal. I would say that Utah plays different than everybody else in the league. And they're <laughs> yeah. a very, a very specific brand of playing. And... I like that their name is the Jazz and they're in Utah and the colors are beautiful and it is with Gobert obviously without Gobert it makes it a lot harder to watch and, and favors I I'm not a favors guy not a Raul Neto guy although he's very fast I like Alec Burks see I'm just naming guys again yeah uh, but look they're great they're great obviously I think if if Hayward was there then they would have a lot more of a shot to be legitimate I feel I mostly feel pity for them but I do I do love Donovan Mitchell and. If you want to ask me about the the uh, the Donovan Mitchell Joel Embiid beef, I'm I'm prepared to answer that. Yeah, well, that's that's where we have to go next. I and I, I we're actually spending more time on these games than I thought. Cause Good, we got a lot to do. But but go ahead, go ahead. T- talk to me about how you felt when you saw that. I feel great about it. Two fiery competitors. <laughs> uh, Donovan Mitchell go he goes to the basket hard and he goes uh, into Embiid's back hard. I think that uh, Embiid for sure flopped on on that push. Well, but- he said he flopped. He Good. said he flopped, yeah. which is the right thing to do. I think they get fired up. I watched uh, after the game ended. I was I made sure to watch to the end to see if there's any any like communication after in the in the high five high five line, and they and they absolutely brought it out and like talked and it was like they're cool. So I love it. I love the fiery competitiveness. I get fiery during games. I would I would flop and be and be doing his trolling dickish thing uh, to draw a technical foul. It's great. It's perfect. I have, um, no, I have no problem with it. The office of Michael Levin supports both candidates equally. Not equally, but close to equally. Closer, than, closer to equally than I probably should. But uh, my, my, my favorite part of all of it, well, two favorite parts are, one is Embiid falling down on purpose, which is the thing we like the least is Embiid falling down and him falling down on no, purpose. No, but that wasn't, very, that wasn't, I mean, not going into the cameraman. He's, I'm, not, he's, I'm not complaining. It's just yeah. funny. And then the second thing is him afterwards. The NBA has this rule where if you flop on purpose, they will find you. So Embiid obviously flops, but then after the game says that he flopped and he didn't get a fine. Well, I think it's like, because it's not like he didn't flop like in a possession. He, he just sold, he sold getting shoved by the back. <laughs> I guess. If you say I flopped, that should, whatever. I, I loved it. Um, the, okay, here's who else, the. Who else look good? Wait. Uh. Well, TJ looked great in the Portland game. Yes. I thought. He looked unbelievable in the Portland game. It was one of my favorite TJ games ever. He's really he losing, su- he's losing baseline a lot. Yeah. They can't stop him. 
He's super aggressive offensively, and he has finally figured out just to look at the progression from his in. He was so unwilling to lay the ball up in his first season and a half. Remember he couldn't get to the line for his life? Yeah, it was like 15 games. The first 15 or 20 games of the year, he didn't get to the line. And now he's figured out how to position his body, how to get the ball. You know, it's that little layup where it hits the backboard so quickly, like almost underneath the rim, that you can't block it without it being goaltending. And he's gotten super aggressive, and uh, and it's fantastic to watch. And he's shooting 53.8% from three, which is sustainable. as long, yeah, as long as he shoots it when he's wide open yeah. and confident doing so and can hit those, that's that's all I need from him. Yeah. And then the the, the I guess the the not concerned trolley. So it is we're not going into that that new segment. But so before the Utah game, Embiid was questionable, and they said that his knee was bothering him. And then he was warming up, and I was told, and I'm not going to say by, by whom because I, I don't know if that person or persons wants it out there. But they say he's questionable, and already I'm like, eh, sit him. And I, almost, I was told, Almost always sit him in, yeah. that, in, that, in that respect. And I was told that before the game, he, like, while he was warming up, he was wincing while warming up from, I will say, let's just say a— a source or sources or people or people that you and I would both trust that this wasn't nonsense. And I was really like, I know we in general, both you and I and our hive will be more likely to be okay with them sitting him. But it just, I just keep going back to it's, it's very easy to get, um, wound up, wrapped up in all of this. Mm -hmm. And he's playing a lot of minutes and you know, I just wouldn't mind if his knee is bugging him a little bit. You know, he, he's going to have to get used to, and Neur- we had this with Nerlens the first year, and Brett Brown said it. He's going to have to get used to at some point playing with a little bit of discomfort. But while he's, I guess, ramping up, I, I just wish that, you know, without knowing anything more than what I know, I, I almost wish he hadn't played the Utah game. Well, I guess the difference between... Brett's line about Nerlens playing with the discomfort and his line of, and with Embiid is that like Embiid feels more like a ticking time bomb. Yes. Yep. And Nerlens didn't feel that way. I mean, it felt like I, I remember watching Nerlens and and he's still this way, like very thin. And every time he goes down and gets like shoved, you think that his, his body's just gonna like break. But with Embiid, it's like we know that the end is coming. It. It's well. Don't say it like that. No, I mean, like it's it's almost like it's almost like watching. I mean, that's bad. It's 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 almost like watching a movie where you're like, you, there's someone has like a fatal illness, and you're like, yeah. it's it's eventually gonna get sad and gonna get bad. And you know, hopefully that's not the case for a while, or hopefully it's uh you know he comes he sits for a month or two here or there over the course of his long illustrious career, but you that that is there. There's a bomb under the table, and you know that it's there, and so. I don't, I don't think he does need to play with that much discomfort because you just sit him. Like he matters yeah. more. He doesn't need to play. I honestly, if he never played in a back-to-back, I'd be fine with it. Never in his whole career, I'd be fine with it. Because if we can't, if we can't, like the regular season's the regular season. Like if we can't get to the playoffs and be contenders without him, with with him being sitting here, or there, and back-to-backs, then like we're not good enough anyway. Like yeah, ha- have a have a backup big who can protect the rim, so to where like 
you don't totally fall apart top to bottom without him on the court. Sit him. Well, Let him sit. He matters too much. There's got to be an adult in the room who has the longest view who can say that I know we're ahead of schedule. And look, the fact that we have that the Sixers have more wins than most would have guessed at this point. Use yeah, that. Yeah, I want to, as, I, I want to talk about that also. Well, use that as not as an opportunity to get further ahead, but as an opportunity to say, okay, well, we have a little cushion here. It's November. You know, the, we're doing well. Yeah, let, let's. We we are uh, the hardest part of our schedule is almost is basically over, so let's take a minute and uh, and you know assess that we can if if we have to punt a game here and there NBA teams do it all the time and maybe you get lucky and win a game that you punt like the road Utah game that you know that it almost felt like they were punting when they sat and beat that time yeah so. Before we get to the next segment, let's talk about one of our trusted sponsors here at the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. That is the official lawyer of the process. That is Adam Kornblau at Kornblau and Kornblau. Mike, when I say Kornblau, what does that make you think of? What's your first reaction? Like a, like a mealy microwave corn dish. Oh, you know what? If we ever get a restaurant on board as a sponsor, we got to have them create a corn blau dish. It would be tasty. Um, it would be, that dish would be, uh, would be understanding. It would be an experienced dish. It would I visit guess. you at home. It would visit you at home, this dish. These are all the In things. In the bathroom. Whoa. Hey, now. I don't know about that. I don't know if you want corn blau in the bathroom. I'm saying you. the dish would. Anyway, the law firm of Cornblau and Cornblau is the premier uh, boutique uh, personal injury law firm in the entire Delaware Valley, and it is who we think you should go to if you have any sort of personal injury that may require some sort of litigation that is medical malpractice. It could be uh, at-work injury. It could be slip and fall. Mike, here's some good news. You and I are going to get a chance very soon to talk to one of the clients of Cornblau and Cornblau, somebody that Cornblau went and got you know, some of that money that Cornblau can get you if something bad happened to you. His parents started the law firm in the 80s. It, they have had a record of success. He is a guy who understands what better guy. You know, when you go into a personal injury lawsuit, you need a guy who can see the forest for the trees, right? Who isn't going to just try to settle right away to get it over with. He's a guy who's going to keep you focused on the best result possible. He's going to walk you through the process. He is going to, as Mike said, he'll come to your house. You mm-hmm. don't have to. They have offices all over the Delaware Valley. You don't have to go to any of them. No. Cornblow is going to come to your house. In um, fact, don't. They don't exist. No, they do exist. No. They actually. <laughs> it is a money laundering scheme. <laughs> no, no, no. They don't. They're not, not real offices. No, they're, they're actual offices, but you don't have to go there. Uh, he is going to be aggressive with the lawsuit, but he is going to be calm and patient with you. And here's the best part. As we said, you call Cornblow and Cornblow. <clears throat> Mike, we like to say you're going to get Cornblow when you call Cornblow and Cornblow. You're not going to get some referral service. Call 215-576-7200. What's that? Yeah, it won't, <laughs> I won't even ring. <laughs> the uh, 215-576-7200. Ask for Adam. You're going to get Adam. He's going to take personal care of you. Or email him at cornblow at cornblowandcornblow.com. The and is spelled and the cornblow is spelled with a K. Adam Cornblow, the official lawyer 
of the process. Uh, you want to do mailbag next? Well, with I still got. Well, so we talk. We talk about Simmons' his elbow. Oh and right, how, and how he's playing because he's playing great. Even though, even he, when he's not, like I was watching, I was watching the <clears throat> Blazers game, and not really paying attention to. I wasn't like following along stat wise. I wasn't I didn't, like have the box score handy. I was just watching, and he yep. was he was eight for twenty with sixteen points. Like that's not an efficient night, but like he's still impacting the game. He still looks great, and I mean they were up a ton, so it wasn't ever really in peril but uh he's just I, i'm just consistently impressed by how good he is on both ends of the court we knew he was gonna be great in transition but um he's getting he hasn't he's getting, had a bad he, game he hasn't well he's getting even better he hasn't had a bad game defensively i at least the, from my eye test he hasn't looked like lost or helpless which for a rookie is very impressive and um I would say that he's getting better in the half court in that, like, there was yeah. one play where, like, if you're going to cover him with Noah Vonley, like, you're not, you're going to lose. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. But to start off the game, they did. And he just sort of glided to the, like, you could see he was at half speed. Just like, oh, I'm just going to get by this guy. And, like, yeah, he held the ball up just sort of like you're playing with your, like, six-year-old nephew. You're like, okay, yep. here I am. Okay, and I scored. Great. Nice, nice attempt. It's, uh, it is ridiculous how... Well, him and Embiid pair together. Um, my only concern, really, with the team, and like turnovers as a rookie is not a big deal for me at all. I don't care about it. Um, that's what happens. You, you, if you're uh, holding the ball a lot and making a lot of decisions, you're going to turn the ball over. My concern is more as a team. Like the this, this is now. It's if, especially if they're going to make noise this year. And I, odds, the odds of them making a ton of noise are pretty small. But they have two of the best players in the East, so. Who knows? Um, I would say that I would I, I would like to see them cut down on some turnovers. As a team, but not turnover. Uh, Simmons himself has been fine. As a team, I think. As a team, yeah, sure. I mean, again, team. Embiid more than anybody. Um, yeah. Because he's careless sometimes, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's frustrating because it, I guess it's just being young and it's it's making dumb mistakes that well, I think I think it was that. Zach Lowe said before the season they could set the record for turnovers this year. And remember, here's one thing to remember when you talk, and I'll get back. We'll get back to Simmons's elbow because it'll lead right into the right-handed shooting thing. Um, uh, they could. I know this sounds crazy, but everyone keeps saying they're this good. Wait till Fultz gets back. It is certainly possible that one of the reasons that they've had a better start is because Fultz. And and this this is not a negative thing about faults. It's just a young player yeah. thing. Is that there have been veterans taking the minutes that faults would have had, and faults probably would have been turnover prone, and he he probably you know it would have been harder to work around the the Simmons thing. You know, it would have been a, another guy who needed the ball. And eventually, long view, this will help. But short view, don't be surprised that when when he comes back. They may go through a period where they struggle getting him involved, yeah. getting a person which they had initially. Involved. Anyway, I think I mean yeah. to some extent, yeah. I think if 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 Fultz had taken all of Jared Bayless's minutes, I, I don't I don't see a world where they would have been markedly worse. Bayless hasn't hit a three in six weeks. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see the 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 Fultz reintegration. It's nice. It, yeah. It's nice. It's like a little because I I do believe he's going to come back in the next week or two and. And mm. be able to shoot it and be fine. Last time. Yeah. 
and uh, and it'll be it'll be, it's like a little half half version of what's happened with the Sixers in the past, which is you you draft a guy, you sit him for a year. So if like we if we like we expedited that timeline like to like half a season or like a third of a season, that is that is a nice little thing. He's gonna be able to shoot. He's gonna be getting to the basket, spin moves, hounding defense, fun in transition. I refuse to not believe that Fultz will be fine. I was about to say, you sound like a a, a paid spokesman for the Fultz it's, campaign. It's just like it's it's like there's just no. It is the weirdest thing that's ever happened in basketball, and yep. it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be over, and it's going to be fine. The, all right, before we get back to Simmons, I don't even want any commentary on this. I just want an answer from you. What are the percentages percent chance that Markel Fultz does not play a game for the Sixers again this year? The, I feel like John Gonzalez asked me the same question. Uh, I said. Two percent. Okay. All right. Back to Simmons. So Simmons is out today with a elbow, some elbow swelling, yeah. which they they have indicated to a couple of beat writers that they're not particularly concerned about. So I, I don't even really know what to feel other than every time a sixer gets hurt, I just assume the worst all the time, but I'm trying not to assume the worst here. Yeah, I mean like he I I don't mind Simmons having a day off from time to time. Let him rest. Well and they you know what's going to—here's the thing. It's almost amazing that players don't get hurt more than they do. I think this about football players all the time. Yeah. That if you, when you think about the impact of a, oh my God. a football tackle, they, they, he shouldn't—that person shouldn't move again for a week. They should be—if that happened in regular life, that person would be in the hospital for three days. So I'm, I'm sort of surprised that, you know, bumping elbows and bumping knees doesn't happen more than it does. One thing I noticed during the Portland game is that— not only is he reluctant to shoot jumpers, but it almost seems like so when the clock is running down and he has to shoot it, he would rather shoot it one handed with his right hand, almost like a pop a shot jumper, than shoot a normal jump shot. It's almost got to the point where he and this isn't a criticism, it's just it's more I mean that's a hundred percent true. Sh- he should be shooting with his right like he is clearly more comfortable shooting with his right hand because when it's you know you can tell what your natural thing is totally. when when you're panicking when you know <clears throat> when there's no time left and you got to get it up <clears throat> if he's anything less than 15 feet away he finds a way to shoot it with his right hand yeah uh, and it is man please after this year just find a way to shoot free throws with your right hand. I want to, to hear him jumpers. talk about it. Like I would love to sit him down yeah. and be like, talk to, me, talk to me about your jump shot. Yeah. Like why why do you feel like you're left-handed? Why yeah. why do do you feel like things are going well with your jump shot and like you don't want to mess with anything cuz you're just not shooting it at all. Give it at a all? shot. Yeah. To shoot it with your right hand with a guide hand from 3. What if he just becomes like a one-handed shooter from 3? Or one-handed free throws. If they can do underhand, you can do one-handed. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I have no idea. It's, maybe it's a head thing. Maybe it's just a stubbornness thing. I don't know. It's There are so many, in the last five years, bizarre-ass storylines with this team. It's only the Sixers. I have no idea how many. They keep churning out different compelling plot lines. It's remarkable. You think it's got to run out of steam soon. But there's never. so many things that, that I don't understand. It's the life. It's the lifeblood of the podcast. It, re- right. it really is. We would have no now, podcast if the Sixers were like half as interesting. Now it's time for the Lorenzo Brown mailbag. Wow. Na- na- now, as you may have heard on previous podcasts, we're now naming all our segments. 
Mike has named the segments after former Sixers and the Lorenzo Brown mailbag, as you mentioned earlier, because uh, they are sent back and forth like Lorenzo Brown was to the seventh. Uh, I would like to mention that there were some great Bill Simmons-related emails that we got after last week's pod. I don't want to rehash any more Simmons stuff, but thank you for those Bill Simmons emails. They were long and crazy and wonderful. All right, this is from David Pudge. He says, hey, Spike and Mike, hope you're well. My name is David. I'm trusting the process from England. I can't wait to see the Sixers beat the Celtics in London in January. I wanted to ask you a question. During the summer when Embiid got his new contract, there were a lot of clauses put in it that would increase what he got if he hit certain criteria. I remember at the time, people weren't that concerned about him uh, him hitting this season, but based on the first 17 games of the year, how close realistically do you guys think he is to actually getting any of them? MVP, I think, is out of the question, but if he carries on as he is, he's surely in the discussion for first-team All-NBA. Now, just as a refresher, and this is not from the email, I went to Derek Bodner's piece on The Athletic that uh, breaks down the um, the Embiid contract, and here's the difference. If he makes first-team All-NBA this year, he, the life of his contract goes from 148 to 178 million, 178 million. This happens, includes uh, if he gets voted Defensive Player of the Year, MVP, or, get this, All-NBA first, second, or third team. Um, well, he's he definitely going to be. He's definitely going to be that. Yeah, so it goes from 25% of the cap um, to 30% of the cap. So instead of making 25 million next year, he will make 30 million next year, which definitely will have an effect on their available cap room. Um, I think it's, it's really, assuming that he plays 60 or more games, he will definitely be all NBA. So um, that's it. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm glad that he's going to be so good. I wish we had the cap room, but I'm much, I'd be much happier with a Joel Embiid yeah. first team all NBA season. Yeah. So yeah, he's going to get it. He's the best. Um, I could see them if he plays like 60, 65, them still, I think, I think the, the narrative around Embiid is still minutes restriction and no back to backs. Yeah. Like they still talk about it as if like some guys don't sit and some guys don't, have to play 38 minutes a night to be impactful. So I think that I think that that's going to keep him from being first team, but I think second or third is like very very likely. And that's awesome. When was the last time the Sixers had a all NBA guy? Is it Iverson? Uh, yeah, it has to be. Cuz I mean, there, there hasn't been Drew, anybody cuz Drew didn't get it. No, no, no. He both he and Iguodala were all-stars, but neither one were all NBA. It's Neither been, it's been a long-ass time since we had a very a good player. really long time. All right, let's do one more mailbag question. And by the way, you can send your emails both for relationship advice. We got a couple of good relationship advice questions. And for Ricky Mailbag to writes to Sanchez at gmail.com. I'll give you a choice between the two. It can be about assists or about lick face. Your choice. Uh, assists. Okay, this comes from Monty from Queens. Mike, Mike and Spike, something's been bothering me. Clearly, not all assists are created equally, and getting credited with an assist is dependent on a teammate's ability to make a layup or hit a shot. So my question is, what offensive statistic best represents a player's success in causing defenses to break down? 
Is there a stat, for instance, independent of assists, that measures driving kick or collapse and dish setups that lead to quality shot opportunities for teammates? My eyes tell me that Ben Simmons, this, it always comes back to something like this. My eyes tell me that Ben Simmons is infinitely more disruptive of an opponent's half-court defense than Lonzo Ball, yet Ben's assist stats and Lonzo's seem misleadingly close. What metric is the best representation of the quantity of chaos that a player wreaks in terms of setting up quality scoring opportunities for his teammates? All right, I have a dumb guy answer, and then a uh, and then I would punt it. Do you have an answer to this? Yeah, I mean, isn't there expected assists? That is a uh, that must be a thing somewhere, right? Just subscribe to Cleaning the Glass Ben Fox website. I'm sure it's got it on there somewhere. I would say for for a basic way to do it, we could actually have Mike O'Connor from the Athletic. He seems like smart guy. Him or Derek to explain good ways to do this. I really think if you just do points created, um, that that it. If you are creating points for for yourself and for others, then there has to be, you have to be either getting into the lane or shooting three pointers well. So I think the thing that Lonzo misses out on is that first of all he's being credited with nonsense assists, and there was a video. There was that video. I saw that video also. It's like, come on, what are we doing? Yeah, there's that. But the fact that he's not scoring any points and not getting to the line leads me to believe that he is not really disrupting the defense at all. Ben Simmons is scoring points in a way that we didn't expect him to do. And the fact that he doesn't have an outside shot, would you would surmise that the fact that he's scoring points means that he's getting into the lane and, and shooting free throws. So I think you can look at it, you know, if you look at guys that are number one in points created, just total points created off assists and points created for themselves, you would be hard-pressed to find a better list than those guys. That would be my, my easy way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's important. Uh, ben Falk was talking about um, the idea of like three point percentage. Also, there's a lot of like misleading stats if you just look at one stats. Like, and, yeah. uh, Simmons is currently zero for seven from three, but none of them are actual threes. They're all like half court, full court heaves. And so, why why should that count to actual your three point percentage when you ha- he hasn't taken one? And also, it like dissuades guys from which you've seen of like taking. Yeah end of quarter shots because they don't want to fuck up their percentage, which is a, yep. which is like, you know, bad, not great for the team. doesn't really matter, but like just sort of leaves a bad look. If Ben suggested just like having a category for heaves and yeah, that's fine. It shouldn't. Why, why, why is a, like an open three, the same statistical category as a, you know, other foul line heave. It shouldn't be. Well, especially when guys like there was the whole story last year with Mo Harkless got a bonus if he shot a certain percentage from three. How could he not all year think about that at the end of a quarter? You know, if you're going to get fifty thousand dollars if you shoot thirty eight percent from three, why would you shoot a four co- full court heave that has five percent chance of going in? So I agree with you. Um, hey, before we get to Tony Roten, got so many other things Le- to talk about. I know, LeBron to the Sixers and all that kind of stuff. Let's talk about our sponsor, and we just mentioned them twice, I think, in the mailbag, is The Athletic. The Athletic. So we have a new deal for listeners of the Rights Ricky Sanchez podcast. The Right Side of History t-shirt is gone. You had until 3 p.m. Friday. If you signed up for a year and are expecting to get that t-shirt, you will get it within the next three weeks. They are being printed and shipped in the next couple of weeks. The new special, Mike, if you sign up at theathletic.com slash RTRS, 
theathletic.com slash RTRS, you get 25% off a year, which brings it to under four bucks a month, which is a crazy deal for the coverage you get with the Eagles going into a playoff run, with the Sixers going into a playoff run, and teams actually good, you are going to get no better coverage than provided at The Athletic. For the Sixers with um, with Derek and Rich and Mike, for the Eagles with Sheil and Bo Wolf, for the Flyers with Charlie O'Connor, for this the Phillies with Liz Rocher. And here's, some, here's, here's a, a tease that I'm going to give you, Mike. Are you ready for this? Ready. After the Eagles season is over, I believe Shil Kapadia is also going to write about the Sixers. Wow. So, yeah, I, I believe he was signed on. It is my, I've been told that he is signed on to do more than just Eagles coverage. And he, I think he wrote a Sixers piece or two earlier in the year. But once the Eagles season is over, whenever that happens, Shield is going to start writing about the Sixers too. Do you think that so, he can handle the rabid fan base? Uh, well, we'll see. We might have to have Shiel on before he writes his first piece and just sort of give him C- a Catch him up? Yeah, catch him up on everything. All right, so subscribe again. This is uh, no pop-up ads, no clickbait, no none of that nonsense, no video autoplay ads. And this is how you support great journalists and get a great product, theathletic.com slash RTRS. And also, right. please send us, if you did get the, the, the Right Side of History t-shirt, please, anytime anybody asks you what it is, and what it means, yeah, tell us about let it. us know about it. We'd like to hear about it. Yeah, when the T-shirts start coming in, I would love to see videos of people uh, going out into public with a T-shirt and asking them what it means. <laughs> that would be great. See if we can find one person who gets it. Yeah, perfect. All right, do you want to? Do, what do you want to do next? Tony Roten, LeBron, Ben Golliver. Well, let's talk yeah. about. Uh, I think we should end on Golliver actually, okay. because I'm, I'm going to paste. In All right, LeBron, the, LeBron, 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 LeBron. All right. So what what brought this to light again was it was first of all I think is the Sixers playing well brought this to light again yeah. and then Sharp wrote a piece called Keep LeBron Away from the 76ers or something like that which is Be- which is a mostly pro Sixers piece I would yes. say Yes yeah he wasn't being he wasn't being anti Sixers in fact his no. take on this is sort of remarkably similar to what mine Which is. That's but the, that's the dirty asking. secret is that you guys have very similar takes about a lot of things. Actually, to be honest with you, when I'm listening to Open Floor and he starts talking about something, I almost – like they're so similar that it almost seems like he stole my takes. Like I know. And I'm not accusing him of stealing takes. It's just I was listening I think earlier this week and he started talking about – they were talking about the Clippers – and how excited he was that uh, what's his name? Who's that guy? Like Juwan Evans, isn't he on the? Love Juwan. He Evans. was like, yeah, he was. He was like, man, I'm so excited that Juwan Evans is getting minutes. I was like, what are we talking about? I only like eight college guys. That's a, and that's a very them. non either of you take because Sharp is very dismissive of like non like decent basketball players. Like and I, <laughs> I love him. Yeah, it's a very non either guys. But yeah, you guys are the same. But right. yeah. So here are a few takes that I'm just reiterating, and this I, I will say from the, the beginning, this doesn't have to shape how anybody else feels. It's just how I feel. But here is the headline of it, because somebody asked me, because the Cavs are going to be here on Monday, hey, what can we do as fans to try to convince LeBron to come here? Hmm. Stop, stop your thirsty bullshit. That is what I would say, is that when he comes, if you really want him to come here— doing signs that he should come here. I remember when fans did this for Dwight Howard, by the way. And I I said the same thing. 
nothing can you are not going to convince him by being desperate and like it looks sad it looks like yeah. this is not a good place to come do you, boo the shit out of him do you know what would make him think about all the teams that that were begging him to come last the last two times whether it be new york or um or wh- wherever it was and people are putting up billboards and fans are begging him to come he if if you want to convince him make this a tough place to play and do not offer olive branches. He has to think that this is an atmosphere that he wants to be part of right. and that isn't welcoming to somebody else. He wants to So I think honestly like being raucous and supportive of your own team and ignoring the fact that he's here and seeing seeming bigger than the whole thing is the way to do it. Yeah, I mean you that clip of it was last year against the Raptors. I think it was the same game that uh, Dario had his two blocks in a row and then Covington and Embiid had like a double block of Kyle Lowry and they won that game uh, they, there's a shot of, uh, of Lowry on the bench just sort of like looking around and being like what the fuck and like everybody's yeah. super into it and like he's screaming trust the process and he was just like oh my god like you could tell that he was like alarmed by it that's what you want if you want LeBron and now let's talk about if we want him at all yeah well and w- I'll preface with we want him at all with he's not coming here he is I, okay. I, well, here we're okay. we're gonna disagree about this. I'm not saying he's okay. coming here, but I'm you, you believe that he's 100 percent going to LA, and I just like don't. I couldn't agree less. Well, but but here's 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 what I think about, and I could I could accept things other than LA, but LeBron does not want to be. Even though we may believe he's a ring chaser, his his idea of himself and his legacy is is different than that, and. There's no way he wants to be perceived as a ring chaser. So there is no way that the story of coming here is I think his ego is so large and, Rightfully and the personality so. Rightfully so. And and the yes, absolutely. This is not an anti-LeBron take. None of this is anti-LeBron. I'm pro LeBron. Um as as a player and as a guy, he's done great things. Like I, totally. I think he's the best he's the best player of all time, yeah. I believe. And I, I none of this uh, and that is not begrudgingly, and it, I've always been pro-LeBron. Same. The, but the story here is already bigger than him. And like, Embiid <laughs> is a bigger personality. It, it is. And I just think when he comes here, that that the idea of him coming here would be LeBron being the number one thing, totally. and he would not be the number one well, thing. Well, that's what here. Sharp said. Just, Sharp said he, he sucks up all the oxygen in any team he's ever going to be on, and the Sixers yeah. are already... Plenty of oxygen, and you know what that takes. Yeah, away. which I agree with. I I want LeBron in like, I want Vince Carter LeBron. I want like yeah, four af- years after Dario is gone. I want LeBron to come in and be and be the and be the Dario on the, of the second unit, and like back up Ben Simmons and like still do his thing. I I, I wonder how LeBron's gonna fade, at, like what he decides to do if he's just gonna bail or, or or try to be just role player guy. But that's I would rather have him much later on than than right now. Well, and that that gets to the whether we'd want to have him. I I don't want him for a number of reasons. First of all, he whether he is you know there's a misnomer about LeBron being GM and making the calls. I don't think he makes the calls, but I do think that the the front office makes decisions based on what they think is going to make him happy because he only signs one year deals, and the things that make LeBron happy are win now moves and or win never moves like. You know, Kay Felder and Shabazz Napier. Right. And or, you know, or, or signing uh, 
Kyle Corver to three-year deals or trading the number one pick in the draft for Kevin Love. Let's let's not forget that that at some point they really traded the possibility of Joel Embiid for wow Kevin for Kevin Love. Right, that happened. Um, they don't talk about all that much. these. Actually, people don't talk about that at all. Right, and, it, it's, and like and, Milwaukee has talked about that a little bit, like oh Jabari or Embiid, whatever. Yeah, um, but no one ever talks about the very real possibility that it could have been LeBron and Embiid, which would have been and, ridiculous. I mean, I, I I do not want the well, no, but they traded it for Embiid. Oh yeah, but but yeah, but you're right. Oh yeah, they traded it for Wiggins. Right, um, they traded it for Love. They traded Wiggins for Love. Yes. Right, they didn't have to make a trade at all. But he—that's what he wanted. He wanted Kevin Love, yeah. and you have to go. Oh, to and win they want a title. And they want a title, by the way, which is like yeah, I'm not going to fault him for fine. That, but yeah, yeah, I don't want this whole thing dismantled because LeBron comes here for a year and needs another ring, and I do not find to be enjoyable the existence of trying to please him and worrying that he's going to leave. And I just personally, me personally, don't find that enjoyable. There would be satisfaction in him choosing it here, totally. and I would be excited, but I would be very fearful of the future. And I honestly would feel, you know, the idea of winning a championship with him as the best player when we've done all this, I I, I think I would feel it would be exciting, but I would, it would be a conflicting thing for I agree. me. I agree. I think, I, I think it's it's tough because like we are we are so invested in this. Like we yes. we put so much time into this, and this matters to us. And even though that LeBron coming here would be a win, in its own way, and we'd be super pumped about it, and we would just I mean, reach we again would look like a with like a fucking blip compared to what we would do. I mean, our our smugness would blot out the sun. Like it would yeah. be unbelievable. But I want that to happen with on the strength of our own guys and whatever we get in max cap space next summer. Um, doing it themselves as we said they would. Patriots fans would be amazed at how smug. Yeah, they would are. be. That's how. Yeah, yeah. it'd be alarmed. <laughs> they would be. It. They would. Yeah, they would be really upset by our smugness. So that that's where I sit on it. I'm not changing. And my I do. Mind. And I love the guy. I love LeBron. It'd be crazy if he come here. And I wouldn't say no, but like right. in in the perfect storybook version of this, I have in my head. I. He does not fit into it in a way that would make it a little bit more, a little bit more muddy. Like, if in my heart of hearts, admitting that like the Phillies beat the Rays in the 08 World Series, like, sort of bums me out. Like, I really, right, I, I right, wanted right. it to be, I wanted it to matter more, and it did, and it's amazing, and it's perfect. But like, it could have been. But beating the Yankees would have. Oh been my better. God, it would have been a hundred percent better. So that's, and it's just like I want to win on the strength of our guys. I believe in our guys. I'm hyped up. Let's go. Let's go fucking beat the magic tonight. Yeah, let's let's beat the magic, the falling apart magic, the the the, the regression to the mean sure. magic. Speaking of uh, the Cavs, we play them on Monday, and the Sixers. Yeah. Here's a little stat for you, a little advanced stat for you. Sixers. Oh boy. Four zero on Mondays this season. Really? How about that? Four zero on Mondays. Better earlier in the week. Write it down. Let's talk about Tony Roten. Okay. Finally. Tony Roten is. One of my two, two or three, uh, two favorite Sixers of all time. Maybe my favorite Sixer of all time. Fr- Definitely my favorite process Sixer. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod has been on the pod uh, and was the person who, at least in any public forum related to the Sixers, was the first guy to say trust the process. And he now knows <laughs> and acknowledges and takes and brags about it, which is great. Yes. Yeah. He. 
after his knee injury, he was never quite right here. His his third knee injury, actually, uh, not with us, but third knee injury in general, was never quite. It got released pretty quickly at, in the beginning of um, of that season with the Sixers. He caught on with the Knicks very briefly and has not been with an NBA team since, though he is anxious to get on an NBA team. Uh, he and he's still only 24 years old, which is insane. Yeah, that it, you know. So he was answering. He was doing a little Q and A on Twitter, and the first question he answered was, um, or it wasn't even a question; it was just a comment from Luke Kelly. He says, "Sixers are playing so well, but I'd love to see them br- bring back Tony Roten. He would be a perfect scoring spark off the bench." Hashtag trust the process. And Tony responded, "Miss all my guys. Love how they putting it together. They looking good." I'll be back, hopefully. It's only right that Trust the Process founder returns. He continues uh, with the Sixers question. Somebody asked him if, if Fultz was going to be okay. And there's two things about this. He says, more than fine. Wait till he get that shoulder right. Spider is going to be so nice. Did I? Did we know that Markel Fultz's nickname was Spider? I think Tony calls him that. I think he mentioned it on, uh, on our podcast. Can we keep calling him Spider? That's a great nickname. Nah. Is it? You don't like it? It feels a little... Artificial. Oh, I, somebody else is calling him that. I like it. I don't even know what it means. All I thought was Goodfellas. Then he tweeted, shout out to my bro, Joel Embiid. We was in Philly together and watched bro grind for two years without playing a single game. Do you know how hard that is to stay motivated when you know you're not playing for two years? But he did, and you see is a problem. Real grind, hashtag Shirley Temple gang. Embi- and then and em- finally. Embiid liked that one. I checked. Oh, he did. Okay. And then finally, he was asked, if you could choose one team to sign you right now, who would it be? He says, LMAO, all caps, anywhere, but if I could, but if I could pick the Sixers easily. Never wanted to leave. Mike, has there been any player in the history of, sp- of the Sixers who's wanted to be on the Sixers more oh than my God. I mean, Tony Roten? No matter what, Tony gets an invite to the parade, 100%. I would... Uh, <clears throat> You know, next year and then the following year, there's going to be some roster crunch stuff and some uh, not having a ton of money, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be bad to have to have Tony as that uh, as that fifteenth guy. I would love to have Tony back. He is, uh, I just love him. I love everything about him. I know. I, I know. I think the more I think about this, the more we have to have him at one of our events at some point. I, I, but it, it crosses the line to like pathetic in a way that makes me like uncomfortable. No, 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 no. It's a celebration. There's, but our whole thing crosses the like is on that line. Mike. I know, like, and we're always in the line. And I'm, I feel like I'm constantly being like, let's pull, pull it back one percent. Just like we're on the edge every time. And I think inviting a guy who wants to be on the team, who's obviously very thirsty to be on the team, uh, to come to our Sixers podcast event is uh, is a little is a little bit much for me. It's a little bit much. I'll say it. Hmm. I don't know. It's not a little bit. I will. I will be embarrassed for him. That's what. That's what it'd be. I'd be embarrassed myself, and I'd be embarrassed for him, and I'd. I'd feel like it seems like we're making fun of him, which is not the case. But we're not. But that's that's the perception that that it would come off. Well, I've never cared about perception. Sure. All right. So the last two things I have were recommendation corner with Jorge Gutierrez and the Ben Golliver spot. Do you have anything else besides those two? Yeah, the Sixers have won ten games. They, yeah. they, won they won 10 games for the season two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. It begs the question, are they too good? Uh, I don't – I think the only reason they could be too good is that it tempts the front office to make bad decisions. 
that is the only mm. part of too good. I think the too good thing can make Joel Embiid play a little too much. It could make them make a trade they maybe shouldn't make. I don't know. That is the only risk of being too good. The the draft pick, um, I'm sort of, you know, it's it's not going. I don't think it's going to be a lottery pick this year. So unless Joel Embiid misses three months or something, so well the Lakers, my, the Lakers my, pick. Well, no, but our pick I'm talking about. We still have the Lakers pick, but I'm talking about the Sixers pick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Sixers pick won't be in the lottery. The Lakers pick will be in the lottery, so lottery party will be fine, but the Sixers pick won't be there. So, I, you know, they're not too good in terms of draft picks or anything else like that. I just think in terms of expectation and front office, both of front office and fans, it gets, it gets a little murky. But uh, I don't think they're too—I think finally we're in an era where too good is what they're supposed to be. I don't know. Could be too good. <laughs> too good. Well, they so they knew that this was a brutal open to the season. Yeah. And they were privately were, were bracing for it to be a little ugly. And they started 0-3, and since then they're 10-4. and Yeah. And that's... I the, the only thing is that, like, the expectation game becomes very real in a way that, like, if you start losing a game or two here and there, then it becomes, like, you start pressing. Yeah. But you know, how do you how do you feel how many wins did you say they're gonna get? Eleven? Don't be an asshole. I said <laughs> I said thirty seven. And and even when I said that, I said it as my inability to figure out how many games Joel Embiid was course, going to play. Uh, so I said I said forty three and I, I feel that might be low. Could be low. Could you imagine? I mean, I'm just excited for a Sixers team that I care about and don't hate and hate the coach and hate ever and hate the organization. I'm excited for them to like be in the playoffs and having to be in a in a, a legitimate series. And like they play the same team over and over again. What is the well, playoffs? Think, Explain the playoffs to me because I don't remember. And think about this with the way the East is, I have no idea who they're going to play. I mean like, like if, I, if that ends up being know, like Toronto in the Detroit. in the 5-4 yeah. Or if Detroit hangs on, like that, that Detroit is just begging to lose to the Sixers in the first round if that's possible. Oh my God! Yeah, they're asking for it. And I'll, I'll tell you another thing: this Tobias Harris thing oh, is not yeah. real. Yeah, it's not. It's not real. It happened once before when he he had sort of an, I think it was his second or third year. He had an outlier three point shooting season, and you could tell every other metric was exactly the same. He doesn't create for anyone else. He doesn't. Re- really create his own shot like the Tobias Harris thing is not real I'm not buying it I'm not saying he's not an NBA player he surely is but uh, but this is not if if you're your most um if the guy that you're depending on for scoring the most is Tobias Harris then then go for it I would love to meet you in the playoffs Uh, let's see it I mean that's gonna be great it's gonna be just a brief shout out to Amir Johnson who has been playing better lately yeah uh, I like in his role it's it's, what they're doing with Amir and Rashawn's minutes are sort of bizarre well, Brett said, I read this on The Athletic, Brett said it's very matchup-based. Yeah. So so a game like, I don't think Amir stepped on the court during the Golden State he did, game. He did not. And then Rashawn didn't step on the court, I don't think, during the Utah game. Or Portland. And, or Portland. Um, now, it doesn't make quite as much sense with Portland, but Amir uh, plays pretty solid defense and sets good screens and all that kind of stuff, and those are the things that Rashawn isn't. Uh, you know, Rashawn plays sloppy defense, and um, so I'm fine with them. No, I like around. it. I like it. And, and Amir's playing well, and it's like you know, give him 
15, 20 minutes a game, that's probably a little bit much. I, I would, yeah. Yeah. They're, well, they're I mean, if if Embiid's only playing 30, then, you know, somebody else has to play the other. I eight think eight there's eight. no, there's, Simmons played 39 against Portland, and he played 34 against Utah. I, I just don't think, like, as much as. 38 versus Golden State. As much as Brad Stevens is on the hot seat, like, he does use his players' minutes judiciously in a way that I love. Obviously, this is fresh legs corner. I There's just no reason, obviously, Justin Anderson being hurt and Stasis being hurt and Bayless and Fultz and all these guys being dinged up. Like it, it, it limits the amount of guys they can go to. But I just don't think, I don't see a reason, especially this early in the season, especially when they're, the games, it's not, you're not going into overtime. I don't see any reason why any, any player should be playing over 35 minutes. It's just, it, it, no. it, I'm, I'm going to get steadily more concerned about this as the season goes on. And I would like, yeah, I, I would like it to stop. I just don't want to see guys cooked by the time that they're 27 or 28 like like Thibodeau players are. Uh, before we get to Jorge Gutierrez's recommendation corner and our little bit on Ben Golliver, let's talk about our number one in our hearts, number one in terms of arrival, and uh, number one sponsor altogether. I mean, even though we love all our sponsors, this guy was first. L.L. Pavorsky of L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, the official jeweler of the Ricky. 5999 listeners have purchased engagement rings from L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. He texted us you should about be... a Happy Thanksgiving. Lovely, lovely yeah, Happy Thanksgiving text. He's thankful for and it's us. The most, and the most genuine text oh, in yeah. the world. He's the most genuine guy. And when, you, when you're going to buy a, an engagement ring like that, why would you not want to buy it from a guy who is a genuine good person, who, by the way, has a beautiful store, beautiful product and knows his shit that's the guy um the holiday party uh the L.L. Pavorsky annual holiday party which is a great time and free to attend and a lot of great stuff which I'll get to in a second um the spots are limited and you have to RSVP and the spots are going quick I think there's less than like 70 spots left so I would RSVP now if you'd like to go. You can go to rightstorickysanchez.com. Go to this post on rightstorickysanchez.com. December 9th from 5 till 9, uh, over $10,000 in raffle giveaways in prizes. Um, the raffle benefits the Alzheimer's Association of the Delaware Valley. Mike, one of the prizes is $5,000 in jewelry. Mm. Uh, yeah. Pavortinis are flowing. Compliments of LL. Mini cheesesteaks. Butlered hors d'oeuvres and twenty percent off of everything in the store, Mike. If you want to buy an engagement ring from LL Pavorsky, which is where you should buy it from, especially the holiday season, it's a great time to get engaged. Call him to set up an appointment two one five six two seven two two five two. Hit him up on Twitter at LL Pavorsky or email him from llpavorsky.com. Definitely tell him you're right, to Ricky Sanchez listener. And for every show, LL makes generous donations to Justice Rescue and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. We were calcite before Christmas. Calcite is a gem. We were calcite before Christmas. <laughs> good one. Thank you. Not one of your all-time. Thank you very one. much. Yeah. I'll take Time it. for – now, last week on Recommendation Corner with Jorge Gutierrez, you were me- recommended The Disaster Artist. Uh, written, screenwritten by Mike Weber, writes Ricky Sanchez is Spike Lee. This week, I'm going to have a double recommendation. First of all, you, have you watched Mindhunter on Netflix? I have not yet. Okay, so it checks every box for me. It is depressing and slow and uh, David Fincher product. How, so and how do you not like the, the jazz? 
<laughs> That's very funny. Um, I that it and I don't mean to talk. That is a positive thing for me. Yeah, I really like the leftovers. I like um, I like just sort of talky, intense, character-driven uh, drama, and that is what Mindhunter is. It's awesome. It is not what I would call like an easy watch, like Stranger Things or anything. It's a it can be a, a difficult watch sometimes, but I think it's awesome. But anyone who has watched Mindhunter, my second second recommendation, and you have to have seen Mindhunter, is please go onto the Ringer's Twitter feed. And see Take Hunter with Chris Ryan and uh, Jason Concepcion. And if I feel like, you know, the thing about Grantland was it it's a lot of times felt like a website just for me, if that makes any sense. Like you think to yourself, who could have this sensibility like all of these things? So Take Hunter is a seven minute funny video that seems like it is just for me. And I, I I texted Chris Ryan to tell him that it's after watching it later in the day, I just started thinking about it and laughing, so I had to watch it again. Sometimes I just listen to it in the car. Uh, I want you to watch Mindhunter, Mike, just so you can watch Take Hunter and fully appreciate it. I heard that there's it's, a scene, so I haven't seen it yet, but is, is there a scene where a guy jerks off on the corner to a shoe? Uh, well, that's in Mindhunter. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. Well, but there you go. I mean, uh, what's it called? The uh, Silence of the Lambs had a pretty gross jerk off scene, and that's an all timer. Yeah, so. I just—that's all I've heard about the show. Is, uh, that's the only specific I've heard about the show is that someone takes a shoe and jerks off into the corner, and I can't—I can't wait to learn the context of that scene. The show is about is uh, is based on a book. I know, I know, I know, a, I know what it is. Oh, yeah. well, I'm just explaining to the audience about an FBI. Agent the the audience up. isn't here. It's just me and you on the phone. Oh, right. <laughs> And uh, and now that I mention it, my wife and I watch It Comes at Night last night. Um, I don't think you don't like horror movies. No, right? I'm not a horror guy. It's not really horror, but it is really dark. So I watched that and I enjoyed it. I that like too. dark shit. Uh, my Jorge Gutierrez recommendation of the week is uh, obviously Disaster Artist, which comes out in two weeks uh, in Philadelphia. Um, and then the movie I saw recently is Lady Bird. Greta Gerwig directed Saoirse Ronan. Um, it's incredible. It's an incredible movie. It's really funny and charming and very uh, boyhood-esque, but I'd say more palatable and more structured and uh, charming in like an unbelievable way. So go see Lady Bird. It's very funny and very good. Um, yeah. And I just finished Keepers, which is also very dark on Netflix documentary series. Good. Good stuff. Got I gotta watch all the. I gotta watch all the true crime shit for for work. It's like, it's a requirement that I watch all the true crime stuff. So I'm just powering through. A lot of dark, a lot of crying, a lot of weeping over like women in their 60s talking about abuse. <laughs> oh wow! That is now my. Sounds... That is apparently now my wheelhouse. So you could write a comedy show. That's right. Yeah. That's how you do it. Uh, uh, all right. So let's end this on Timothy Luwawu Cabarro. No, 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 no. Who looks? En- no, no. Let's stop. <laughs> okay. Ben Goliver was on the podcast. Before the season started, open floor in Sports Illustrated's Ben Gulliver, who we enjoy. I enjoy Ben. But Gulliver. maybe our most contentious interview, I'd say. Yeah, and I didn't mean for it. Can I tell you something funny in retrospect? I had never seen that he sent me a message on Skype saying I need to be done by noon or something. And our argument took him way past that, oh, and I had no. no idea. Yeah, yeah. So it might have made him even more. Contentious. <laughs> I don't know. He's like, stop fucking so, asking me questions. That's right. Solid. So so we're talking about he he writes along with Rob Mahoney the SI Top 100. 
And although we had quibbles with certain things, our biggest quibble and the largest fight was about him having Jay Crowder 30-some spots ahead of Robert Covington. And it wasn't so much that I bothered that I was bothered that Covington was in the 70s or whatever he was, even though that bothered me. It was that Jay Crowder, who was ostensibly a older, worse version of Robert Covington— yeah was ahead of him and not just that he i understood he was more established so maybe three spots but 30 spots and ben defended it to the death because so of like winning. they did because yes well, all the thing and we're going to after this you will get a chance i've i've taken the robert cummington argument alone and we will play it right <laughs> oh after God. this yeah so he on open floor this week the the podcast anyway, and, with, and ben came on the podcast because we we pressured him to come on so it could be a bit as to having him yeah. on and not sharp. And we're yeah. going to turn around and play an argument in its entirety. Yes. All right. I'm in. Okay. I'm in. Okay. So, so he, they went on open floor this week, and they were doing some risers and fallers on the SI Top 100. And they even say at the beginning of it that they had just recorded a long podcast, and in an effort to be non-contentious, they weren't going to challenge on things. They were just going to talk about who was playing better than the rank, who was playing worse. So I understand it. <laughs> but the second guy they bring up is Covington. And Sharp is like, you had him in the 70s. And Gulliver talks about how he's just in the perfect situation right now, and he's playing great, but in a vacuum. Like, he gives him credit, but hedges. Of course. And on this, this, this weird vacuum bullshit, like, like that means that you have to be a one-on-one -on -one player to not be good in and of itself. Well, the thing about Covington is he could succeed anywhere. His his game well, is, I, is very, it's blendable in, on any team. Name a team that Covington wouldn't be perfect on. Yeah, he's a 3 and D player. That's what he That's does. the whole he thing. Doesn't, so it's just time, Ben, I, I get that you don't say that you were wrong, but you were wrong on this one. And your arguments were weak. And you, you just need to come clean on this one. Jay Crowder versus Robert Covington is now like sort of even a silly argument to have even though you, what is a better situation for Jay Crowder by the way than playing on a team with a um you know if you say that Covington is in a good spot on the Sixers because they have Ben Simmons Jay Crowder's playing on a team with LeBron James and you know you know what I mean like with Kyle Korver LeBron James Channing Fry spread the floor guys here's a guy that has to play defense like just just come clean yeah um, I think and people so, don't want to admit that they're wrong, and we have to make them. We, that that's the whole point of we were right before Christmas is to tell everyone else you were wrong, we were right, we were right. And, and publicly expose them like we did with Reach and this, and is, this is This is a collective we. This is you, me, and all of, all our, of our, our, our community. Um, and here's the other thing I'll say about this audio. I apologize for the quality, it re the audio quality. It really shows how far we've come in terms of audio quality when you hear you and me on this uh, versus that. So we end it with Golliver and Covington. Uh, Golliver on Covington and Crowder. This was before the season. We want to see you at uh, – we were right before Christmas on December 22nd. Get your tickets at rightstrickysanchez.com. It is us and BGN Radio. Same podcast, December 22nd. Going to be a great time. And that's all I got. We got the magic tonight. Feels like a win. Yeah. Feels like a win. And then Cleveland, it's an, it's an interesting week. Magic tonight, then Cleveland, then Washington on Wednesday, and then the Celtics on Thursday. If, so, if they can take two of those, I'll feel very good. I want them to sit 
even though it's a home game, I want them to sit Embiid for Washington so he can play against the Celtics. Hmm. Yeah. I want that. I want it. I want it. I want I it. I want I know it. You I do. want it. I want it. I want it badly. I feel very bad for the Celtics again, um, having uh, lost this week <laughs> their streak. Their their twenty second all time longest win wasn't streak. There, wasn't there an article about like the in. best the best moments of their win streak? Come on. Yeah, I, I it was an SB Nation. Come on, guys. Uh, we, by the way, the SB Nation tweet was, uh, or the title or something was, the winning streak may be over, but these moments will live forever. <laughs> Everyone remembers a winning streak in November. Yeah, of of the twenty second longest winning streak. Come on. What a joke. Come on. Uh, one last right. one last thing. The Sixers oh. starting lineup is the best uh, starting lineup in the league. Uh, yeah, the the Sarich one, the Redick, Simmons. Covington, Sarich, Embiid one is a plus twenty nine point five in about one hundred and fifty minutes. Which is the, which is the best starting lineup in the league of people that have played I think over fifty minutes, and that's unreal. Yeah. And uh, even though Dario still doesn't look quite like himself, I'm excited to see him against the Magic because Simmons won't be playing. See what he can do more. But like, he's at least even though this is not the best role for him because he can do more and he's not the best three point shooter. You don't want him to stand out there. But like, he's blending in nicely and playing and playing both ways and obviously contributing to. Winning basketball, so uh, small me a couple me a couple on Dario, but like would love would love to see him just be able to do more. Yep, yep. I, I think as his role gets defined, he will be fine. Totally. I really do. I think he's a smart basketball player, yeah. and and he, I, I think he'll continue to become a better three point shooter too. He'll never get faster, and he'll never, um, but he'll be a, a wonderful six man, I think, or seventh man, or whatever it is. Love him. All right, uh, are you, uh, so after Mike doesn't answer this, we're going to play that Gulliver thing, and that's it. So are you done with TTP? Mm. Buyout. Okay. Buyout. Gulliver. Now, you, you have stepped right into the Robert Covington hive right here. It's the Nerlens hive. It's the Robert Covington hive. You have the following players ranked ahead of Robert Covington, and I want you to actually tell me if you were in a in a um, in a franchise draft that you would take Greg Monroe, <laughs> Reggie Jackson, Marcin Gortat, and Tobias Harris over Robert Covington. Well, look, the list is correct, so we have to start from that <laughs> standpoint. <laughs> look, we call like I've said this on the podcast before. We call the top 100 because there's 100 players on it, and because we have a 100 percent approval rating. Okay, <laughs> Every, everyone <laughs> walks away from this list happy once they understand right. it. Uh, with Covington, it was it was a little bit of a, an effort to get him onto the list uh, yeah. because. The three and D guys who are like totally crippling three point shooters, we just kind of had to do away with. So I'm talking about like the Michael Kidd Gilchrists uh, and the Andre Robertsons of the yeah. world. Just because once you get to that playoff, uh, you know, situation, all of their theoretical value that sounds great on paper, it comes back to bite you hard. They're the first people who can either get played off the court or really screw up your offense, right? And so what we saw with Covington was. You know, more potential than that, for sure. Uh, I mean, the the field goal percentage is pretty rough, but the three-point percentage is not the worst in the world. And we were pretty convinced when you're throwing in new playmakers like Simmons and Fultz, who you mentioned earlier, and even just more of Embiid to swarm and take everybody's attention, that a player like Covington, if he was in that vacuum, would shoot better, would be more efficient on offense, and would be able to do more of the little things, whether it's second-chance points, cutting, and all that stuff. Uh, you know, where he's making use of his athleticism and also, frankly, getting out of transition, too. That's another thing where, like, if you've got a set style with guys who are 
you know, playmakers on a high level, he should be able to kind of feast from that. So we were feeling pretty confident that if he had the benefits that maybe a guy like Robertson's had or or even Kid Gilchrist has had in Charlotte, his offense would look better. And then defensively, I mean, you know, the numbers are off the charts impact wise. You know, what else can you really say about a guy? Uh, so some of this was projecting to get him onto the list for the first time. Uh, some of it was, you know, when you do have a player who shoots that poorly, you know, you do have to kind of swallow on that one. Hold on. Uh, All right, Ben, 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 Ben. If uh, we're going to talk about, like, let's take Jay Crowder for an example. What number was Jay Crowder? <laughs> you, you, have, you expect me to have 100 numbers memorized. Uh, I think he was in the 40s. In the 40s, right. Okay, so Jay, Crow- Jay Crowder, I believe, uh, is like a career 35% three-point shooter. Robert Covington for his career is a 35% three-point shooter. And also Robert Covington, when you look further back, set a D-League record for three-point shooting, was an outstanding three-point shooter in college, and has played on a trash team. How, looking forward, is does Robert Covington not project as – he's a better defender than Jay Crowder, or he's at least as good as Jay Crowder, more versatile defensively than Jay Crowder. So how is, is Robert Covington in the late 80s and Jay Crowder in the mid-40s when they are essentially the same three-point shooter – and Jay Crowder's the only good year he's had, or the only 39% year he's had, was on a Boston Celtics team that was basically designed to get people open three-point shots that won 50-some games last year. Yeah, I mean, this is what Jay, happens when you walk in here, Ben. Jay, yeah. Jay, Crowder, Jay Crowder basically is a plus eight next, uh, net rating last year for a team that's a number one seed. He's shown he can do it in multiple different locations. He's going to show that he can do it again in Cleveland. Uh, they are more similar players than... I think most people would give them credit for, again, we want to see some transition to winning. I mean, if you're just doing it. That's uh, nonsense. Why? That's nonsense. Why? It's transition to winning. You're ranking individual players. And, and at this point, we're ranking role players who basically complement winning. Like neither Jay Crowder nor Robert Covington is going to be the reason why the team um, you know, is is a sixty win team or a thirty win team? Like, you, if you put Jay Crowder on a bad team, the team would still be bad. The, you're talking about players who will make a good team, will make a, an average team good and a good team great, and maybe that's what we're talking about. But to punish Covington because he's not on a good team, I would say, look at what he's accomplished being on a bad team. He was basically the defensive linchpin of this team for the last two years. Um, and, by the way, his improvement defensively and his improvement in terms of rebounding has been off the charts as well. I mean, if, if you're talking about... The, the way that he projects, I think he projects as clearly better than Jay Crowder in the future if you're taking him for the next few years, certainly next year. Yeah, we're looking at this as a one-year exercise, of course. I mean, okay. again, we're trying to say, okay, can we see this translate even to an elite team defense? You know, If not, I understand he's got a weak supporting cast, but we have to reward the teams, the guys who play on the best team defenses. We have to reward the guys who have done it in the playoffs because the Boston fans will say, look, I mean, you know, Covington, he's out there. He misses 15 games on the season. He you know, has never been to the playoffs you know, during his Philly tenure. So what do his numbers really matter? I mean, I, to me, I, I believe that defensive impact numbers hold up better than, say, like volume scoring numbers when you're comparing them to like the empty stats test. Right? Like I think it's harder to maintain uh, awesome defensive stats in a tough situation because it's easier to just quit. 
uh, and you know volume scoring stats. You know, you just you're shooting regardless. Somebody has to shoot, right? Uh, but we have to be fair to the, to the guys who are doing it at that other level too, right? And at some point, we feel like if you are being consistently an elite defensive player, that will transition to winning. For him, it hasn't yet. Uh, hopefully, it does next season. And if it does next season, and he proves it, we will move him up the list. I promise you. The winning stuff gets me. The winning stuff uh, doesn't doesn't sit well with me. Eric Bledsoe at 38 hasn't done much winning lately. Porzingis at 33 hasn't done much winning lately. I just don't. Uh, I don't know if it holds up. Well, so but with I, those guys, with those guys, I mean, we're talking about more all-around complete players, and we do course, value that. Of course, of course. With Porzingis, you're talking about an elite rim-protecting defender. We do think interior defensive players are more important than uh, wing defensive players. We think wing def- defensive players in general are more important than on-ball defensive players. So if you've got Porzingis, seven-three, incredible length, can protect the rim at a similar level to you know players like Embiid or Rudy Gobert. And he has an all-around dynamic offensive package, number one score potential. You can't compare him to a guy like Robert Covington. I'm no, no, I, I wasn't arguing that that should be the case. I was just pointing a flaw in your argument about that winning. I, I don't think Robert Covington's uh, – once you get past the top you know, 14 guys, these guys aren't the, the main cog in what decides winning or losing anyway. So it's just about what team they're on. Danny Green on – the Nets would be a, would be losing tons of games, but he's so where good. would you guys where would you guys put Covington? Top ten. I certainly put him ahead Tobias top, Harris. Top ten. I'd certainly put him over Tobias Harris every day. Tobias Harris isn't going to help anybody win any games. Well, Reggie it's, Jackson doesn't. Reggie Jackson actively helps his team lose. I mean, Reggie yeah, Jackson. Yeah, but that's that's like a you one guys, year you guys reaction like, though. Like I hear I hear everybody picking our Reggie Jackson, and like nobody was saying that at the end of last season, right? They might've said, okay, they have locker room issues, but he's coming off career year. Then he gets injured. Now everybody bags on Reggie Jackson. And look, he wasn't the top 200 player last year, but you have to, you can't overreact to his worst season. Uh, you know, cause if we all overreacted to his best season, then you guys would be saying he's a top 40 player. You, well, know? Like you have to have some level of baseline and kind of smoothing effect here. It seems like you're overreacting to Yusuf Nurkic's like month and a half on the Blazers after being a nothing on the Nuggets. Well, you could say the same thing about Embiid. I mean, who really well, overreacted? No, you are, you are saying, but Embiid was much yeah. better than Yusuf Nurkic ever was. Yusuf Nurkic was very good impact-wise for the Blazers, and we expect that the contract year, uh, you know, as much as we love the vacuum, when you're playing for $100 million and it's sitting right there and you were almost out of the league in Denver, I mean, there was you know some real doubts about where his career was. I think he's going to come in motivated and – those kinds of conditions are going to help him to have a, a really big year. I have my doubts about his health. I have my doubts about his ability to sustain what he did during that uh, during that segment. But he's you know set up to have a monster year, and it contributed to winning. I mean, when he was on the court, uh, they were really good. How much do you like Cody Zeller's screen setting to set, to put him at seventy? <laughs> we like his like screen setting. I mean, do you so guys much. do you guys know what, how well they played without him last year? Do you know that offhand? They're a bad team. They play bad. When he wasn't out there, they were three and eighteen, right? So I mean, he is a very important piece of winning. It's not just screen setting, versatile defense. He can step out and guard different guys. Uh, huge impact on both ends. And they're going to be a playoff team this year. We think he should start over Dwight Howard personally. Uh, you know, they're probably going to play the political game and let Dwight start first because he's the veteran and because he'll m- more likely check out if he doesn't. Uh, but you know, Zeller is going to be the guy who closes minutes for them in the playoffs. Uh, closes minutes for them down the stretch, and he's got a nice little you know pop game too. Uh, it'd be great if he could get a three point range, uh, 
but yeah, I mean, he's a classic underrated guy, again, where he looks way better by the advanced stats than he does by the eye test. Or, I mean, he's an easy punchline. People booed him on draft night. Uh, nobody was booing him last year when he was out injured and their entire season fell apart.